Well, good evening. Welcome to our midweek Wednesday service. What a blessing it is uh, to have this respite in the middle of the week to open the Word of God and, uh, you know, just a, a crazy world around us, but uh, it's good to be here uh, with you. Uh, everyone's online tonight, but uh, glad to have this opportunity to get into the Word of God. We're going to start a new series tonight. And so uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, good to worship uh, earlier as well, and uh, don't just wait till Sundays and Wednesdays to worship, worship throughout the week, keep praising God uh, as we have been also, I, I remind you, we had this summer Bible challenge. I hope that it's been a blessing. Uh, I know it's kind of hard to fit in four or five chapters a day, but it'll be worth it. And uh, I think it, it really supports what we're doing uh, with our Hebrew study and now this Colossians study. And uh, it'll be a blessing. Just more of the word we can get in us, the better off we're going to be. And we need it anointed by the Spirit. But um, with your Bibles open, Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth and the gospel, which has come to you as it has in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard it, and knew of the grace of God in truth, as you also have learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering and joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let's pray again. Father, we just bow before you tonight. We ask, Lord Jesus, that uh, you would just quiet our hearts. Here in the middle of the week, just still our minds. Lord, let us focus on Jesus. Let us sit at your feet. 
Lord, teach us something. Even if we've read these verses before, teach us something new, fresh, anointed by your Spirit. Lord, open our eyes that we might see what you want us to know and understand and to live by, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask your blessing. Lord, remove me once again from the equation, as it were, that each and every person, myself included, would hear from you and not from a man. We thank you for each verse we've read. We know you've done this work in the world, and you're doing it in us and in the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I actually taught the entire book of Colossians back in 2018. So you might be wondering, why are we back here so quickly? And so it's only been two years. So it's pretty rare, so rare in fact, that this is the first time I've ever gone back to a book of the Bible this soon. But I think you'd agree that 2020 has been a very rare and unique year. And given all that's swirling around us, I really felt that the Lord wanted us to go back to this book of Colossians for just a few reasons. Number one, because it focuses on the centrality and preeminence of Jesus. The Lord has me laser-focused uh, with my eyes on Jesus lately. Uh, and number two, because the Lord has for some time impressed upon me to invest in some of our other men in exercising their gifts, their spiritual gifts, in teaching and growing in those gifts as well. Uh, we did something similar with the Fruit of the Spirit series uh, back in the fall and in January. This series is even more collaborative than what we did then, even more intentional, uh, as the Lord had me create the entire outline uh, for uniformity's sake, uh, talk with our leaders uh, in advance of their teaching, but also it'll be their, of course it's going to be their style and their preparation that God's going to use, but I'm going to be working with them in RDM. Uh, this summer series, number three, this summer series will allow me to focus on other CCR ministry areas uh, and preparation that have been on my to-do list for 18 to 24 months. I've had a lot of things that just kind of stay there, and I really can't focus on them, and I, and I really believe that God wants me to go uh, work in some of these other areas of our overall ministry. Some, uh, some praise God, we've been making progress in uh, even with the limited time that I and some of the other leaders have had, uh, but their help will be invaluable for me uh, taking on some of that work here in the summer months. And number four, all of these factors, together they broaden the shoulders of our church and they contribute to the health of the church, which, again, the church is the people in the church and all, us in the body of Christ. But uh, these studies, that we'll, or this study that we'll be doing this summer, along with our Hebrew study and the men's studies and the ladies' studies in parallel effort to the Summer Bible Challenge, uh, all these things are meant to grow our overall dependence on Jesus, individually but also collectively. So I really appreciate uh, the men that are standing with me, and they're going to be teaching this summer as part of this series briefly. Here's the outline. Let me put my glasses on so I can see it as well. Here's the outline that the Lord had me put together, and so I'll start tonight. Uh, brought by grace, uh, Christ our beginning, then number two, uh, then I'll move into Christ our rescue, uh, Christ our relationship, Christ our liberty, Christ our purity, and so on. A seven total series, and in, that, uh, in those seven Wednesday nights throughout the summer, again, I'll lead it off, I'll close it, 
in August with the other men teaching in between. Trevor will be uh, teaching twice. Uh, Dr. Russ once, Scott once, and Tawan, our worship leader, once as well. But uh, as we continue to focus on Jesus as a church, and as we grow in his word, and as we grow as disciples, as we wait on the work of the Holy Spirit, can you imagine the impact that we'll have if we truly mature in the seven areas uh, that we'll be going through in this book of Colossians? And for that matter, what we did in the uh, discipleship series at the beginning of the year and what we've been looking at Hebrews. So God is taking all of these composite views that the Lord has given us in his word and wants us to apply these things in our life. Now let me give a general overview of the book of Colossians. Uh, if you're new to this epistle, if you weren't here with us two years ago, we went through it, or perhaps you just forgot what you once knew. And by the way, that happens. That's called getting old. You might have forgotten the verse you read this morning. You can't even remember one part of it. So it's always good to review. Uh, sometimes it's a space of time. Sometimes, again, it's just getting old and uh, we get a little foggy. But it's good to have a little bit of a review of the background of this book. Uh, the book, of course, says uh, right out of the first verse here, it was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, somewhere between A.D. 60 and A.D. 62, while he was a prisoner in Rome. Uh, number two, it is referred to as a prison epistle uh, with Ephesians, along with Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. Number three, and you see on the map where Colossae is, uh, I've got the map as a backdrop there, uh, it was written to the church in Colossae, which today is in modern-day Turkey, and that would be Asia Minor. Uh, number four, as far as background goes, uh, the epistle is a reminder that Christ alone is central, central and sufficient for our Christian life and the ministry of the church. Only Christ is, is to be the center of everything that we focus on. Jesus at the center. And then uh, fifth and final, just a little bit of a background here by way of introduction. It addressed increasing heresy. This epistle addressed heresy, emphasizes key theological truths that include the deity of Jesus, grace, of course, faith, reconciliation, redemption, election, forgiveness, the nature of the church, and other things as well. But uh, as many of the epistles, they pack a lot in there. And so we'll do our best in these seven weeks to unpack some of these, but, but staying with the themes that the Lord has kind of put on my heart, uh, because we're not going to be able to focus on every single thing. Now, tonight's, uh, tonight's opening uh, that I'll be looking at, we read these first 18 verses uh, I've titled, Christ Our Beginning, Brought by grace. Now, I could have easily also tell that bought by grace, and both are true, whether you say brought or bought by grace. But we're talking about God bringing us forward, bringing us into his presence, and also bringing us for, forward in the Christian life by grace. So we're looking at that, but of course we've been bought by the grace of uh, God as well. But look, we'll look at these three things tonight found in chapter 1, and there's other things as well, but we'll look at the word of God, the work of grace, and the supremacy of Jesus. Now, each week we will not be going 
verse by verse by verse. I read all 18 verses, and, and effectively, I don't do that every Sunday anyway because there's just never the time. But even more so with this series, with the seven uh, themes, we'll be focused on a handful of verses within the text so we get a really good, good overview as we go through the summer of all that the Lord has written through the Apostle Paul. So we're not going to cover every single verse. We wouldn't have that kind of time. Uh, we could do many other Wednesdays and go drill down every single bit of it. But read, read the uh, passages along with us ahead of time, as well as uh, it's always a good thing to be doing in our Hebrew study. Also, uh, we're looking at these key themes and um, passages. Uh, doesn't make the other verses less important. They're all important, but it's that focus on Christ as our provision and spiritual maturity in the series uh, that we want to have as our target. Let's look first uh, at uh, what I have as number one here, the will of God. The will of God, I know that uh, all of you uh, say, well, I want to make sure that I'm in the will of God. Or, or you, you're probably watching on a Wednesday night uh, more than likely because you want to stay in the will of God. You want to be centered in the will of God. And everything about the Christian life and the work of the church is about the will of God. Everything. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, thy will be done. In the model prayer, he said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So we see right in verse 1 where he says, uh, Paul, by the will of God. We see it again uh, down in verse, uh, what is it, verse 9, uh, the knowledge of his will. So we see this uh, very prominent positioning of the will of God right here in chapter 1. And so Jesus made that very clear in his ministry that everything was about the will of God. And I would say it is super healthy to remind ourselves as believers and the Holy Spirit, thankfully we have the Holy Spirit in us, that helps remind us, but it's so important that we remind ourselves and by being in the Word and by being in prayer, the Spirit reminds us through that still small voice and through passages of Scripture, but to continually remind ourselves, and I have to do this all the time, that the minutes of our lives, the seconds, the days of our lives are all about the will of God. It's not about our priorities, our plans, our preferences. The will of God is to change our will. That's not the only part of the will of God, but a big part of it is to change our will. Additionally, anything of value that proceeds from our life is based on the sovereign will of God. If there's something valuable that comes from our life, that's from the will of God. You might say, so does that mean there's no free will? Not at all. Part of the will of God is to give free will to men. That's part of his will is to give us free will. All the way back in the garden, he let them choose. Do you want to eat from this tree or not eat from this tree? We know his will was that they wouldn't do that, and yet he gave them the free will to do that. In fact, you could, uh, all of the, in fact, we could put the will of God, uh, if, if this makes sense, we could put the will of God into a pie chart. And I didn't put one on the screen tonight, but if we put the will of God into a pie chart, uh, for our conceptual understanding, that is, uh, we might see things like a slice, his sovereignty, his desire, his allowance, his directives over simultaneously, and we can't, uh, simultaneously operating 
Uh, and we can't understand how all of these things work together, and yet they're all part of the will of God. And how, how they work simultaneously, I mean, how, how do these things, some of them, you know, how can God give us free will and be sovereign at the exact same time? Uh, how can he be directing uh, our lives today? How can he be allowing us to uh, get off the path for a moment? And all the will of God is still present, still advancing forward. We might not understand all that, but his ways are higher than our ways. We know that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. And Paul testifies here that the will of God has already been accomplished, which is a great praise, as well as that the will of God is still intending to accomplish new work in the church there in Colossae. We see what he accomplished in Paul, what he wants to accomplish in them, what he has accomplished in them. But very simply, as verse 1 tells us, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, Paul's an apostle for one reason, by the will of God. By the will of God. And he and Timothy and Epaphras and both those men were pastors, as well as all the saints that are in Colossae that have come to Christ, they're all believers by the will of God. If you're a believer, you're a believer by the will of God. And yet they've also come freely to God. They've come freely to Christ in a free will response uh, via grace, which we'll get into grace in just a few minutes. And what's taken place in the lives of the Colossians has been a beautiful work. It's been a beautiful work. Uh, Paul is thanking God for uh, this evident this evident fruit that's been visible throughout the Roman world, or at least that part of the Roman world. And by the way, nothing blesses a man or woman of God more than seeing their children or spiritual children, in this case for Paul, bearing fruit. Seeing them bear fruit, or in Epaphras' case, seeing spiritual children bear fruit. You look at the fruit here, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And he says, uh, because of your love for all the saints, he goes on to say, uh, it is also uh, among you since the day you heard of the truth, as, it, as you learned from Epaphras, they were, they were soaking up the knowledge of God and they were growing. And that's important. The will of God is that we grow. We talked about in our Hebrew study uh, these three things. Justification, when we came to Christ sanctification as we're growing in Christ. That's that, that's that little dot between when we're saved and when we get to heaven and glorification when we get to heaven, eternity with Christ. All three uh, are a work of redemption, but that middle part, sanctification, well, that's the tough rowing of life, growing with headwinds and all the things that come against us and our own flesh fighting against us, and yet God wants us to grow. We're like a seed put in the ground, and, and even though it's dark at first, and we have to grow up into the atmosphere, and we have wind and snow and hot and drought and all these things, we're being sanctified. We're growing, and if we didn't have the grace that we'd be looking at in a moment, it wouldn't even be possible. But Sanctification is such an important part of the will of God. In fact, 
Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God, your and my sanctification. Our sanctification. Our salvation is the starting point. But when God does a renovation, which he does in our soul, when God does a renovation, the transformation is clearly seen. You could see it in the life of the Colossians. People could see, wow, they used to be idolaters. Now they're followers of Jesus Christ. But that wasn't the end. God had a lot of work to do on them, just like he has to do in you and me. The will of God is to get out of us all the flesh that's bound up in us. I got saved 25 years ago, and God is still wringing me out of me. And as he does, he's conforming me to the image of Jesus. That's the will of God, to sanctify us, which is also to conform us to the image of Christ. Now, even though the transformation is clearly seen, at the same time, there's things that we allow neglect. We stop reading the Word. We start watching the news way more than we reach, uh, read the Word, which is really depressing to watch the news all the time. Uh, but it's also spiritually suppressing. We start neglecting prayer. We start neglecting fellowship. The enemy starts to sabotage and chip away at God's original remodeling work. And this, is, this was happening in Colossae. I talked about uh, a little bit of the overview, that there was heresy building, and there was uh, things that needed to be addressed by Paul. And that's why Epaphras, in fact, the, Epaphras came all the way from Colossae to Rome because he was so disturbed and bothered at what was taking place, that the church, which had started so strong and was growing and being sanctified was starting to drift away from the centrality of Jesus and drift away from their growing. Instead, they were starting to slide back. And part of the will of God, understand, brother and sister, part of the will of God is to use men of God. Part of the will of God is to use men of God to remind the people of God of the grace of God and to re-remind them of the Son of God. Uh, a lot of times, me as a pastor, I feel like my role is a broken record. You parents feel the same way. You've probably told your kids the same thing about cleaning their room or doing this with the car or making sure that they get this task done. You sound like a broken record. But the reality is we have to remind of the things that are most important so we continue to grow and not, not only slide back, but even develop bad habits we never had before. And so Epaphras cares enough that he goes to Paul and he says, you know, we, we were growing. It was obvious. People were seeing the fruit. And, and there's still a lot of love there, but there's some things creeping in that could devastate and destroy what had started in such a great way. And so we see throughout the Bible, God allows, and he allows it in our lives personally, he will allow setbacks to become new seasons. We just saw this when we, uh, a couple weeks ago when we uh, celebrated and, and, and uh, I did a message on Pentecost Sunday. Uh, you look at Peter, he had that setback, a really bad setback where he denied Jesus three times, but 50 days later he was preaching with power. He was reminded and restored by the Holy Spirit. And in fact, Jesus himself did that work in Peter. But God uses the men of God throughout time to remind the people of God to recenter 
where they need to be. And so one of that major recentering is to understand, again, what the work of grace has done. So if you're taking notes, second thing we want to look at tonight, the work of grace. Uh, we see this word grace mentioned here. And uh, for example, in uh, verse, uh, verse 6, middle of verse 6, as it is among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. You knew the grace of God. God has always, always God has the last word. And not only does he have the last word on anything, he does a lasting work through this work of grace. Because even though it might look like the enemy was starting to pull the church away, the will of God is still in operation. And the will of God reminds the people of God of the grace of God. And so God has a word that can actually say, no, 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 the enemy doesn't have the last word. I have the last word. And he uses this same amazing grace to refocus his people. And he's going to use uh, pastors and teachers and men of God to never get away from this work of grace because every moment we live is a moment of God's grace. Perpetually, the will of God brings forth the grace of God again and again and again. God will never stop, while we're in this lifetime anyway, pouring forth the grace of God. And it's the will of God to keep giving grace. It's God's will to give us that grace which we do not deserve. We don't deserve grace. But that we can be forgiven. He gives us that grace that we can be forgiven and changed and grow and continue to be sanctified by the work of grace. There's really only two things we can do with the grace of God as it relates to our salvation. We can, number one, this is going back to salvation. Each person, Colossae, Paul himself on the road to Damascus, Epaphras, Timothy, each one had to individually accept God's grace. So there's only two things we can do as it relates to salvation. We can either accept God's grace and therefore be transformed, or we can reject it, resist it, say, no, I don't want the grace of God, and we'll remain just as we are, and we see this all across America, people rejecting the grace of God. You not only reject it, when you reject it, you not only remain as you are, you eventually, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. Whereas the work of grace, once it's received, makes you softer and softer and softer. To reject it makes you harder and harder. You know, it's been said the same sun that softens the, uh, softens the wax hardens the clay. And that's true. The same sun, the same grace will do a great work if it's received. And if it's rejected, it will just, again, make someone as hard as a diamond if it's rejected. There's, uh, there's only those two things that can happen as it relates to salvation. Now, after salvation, we can continue walking in grace or we can neglect it. We started out, man, thank you for God's grace. It's only by God's grace that I'm, you know, I see Christians, they're so thankful for God's grace. They're at every prayer meeting. They want to share their faith. Then you meet them four years later, five years later. I don't really have time to go to a prayer meeting. I'm really busy. I've I'm doing really great things in my work. You know, well, I haven't shared my faith in about two years. They've neglected the grace of God. They're in the process of neglecting the grace of God. And if we neglect the grace of God, we'll suffer the consequences of that 
eventually. And God will give a time of grace for us to come back to our senses and the Holy Spirit remind, hey, come back under this grace that saved you is also this grace that you need to daily walk in the Holy Spirit. After salvation, again, we still need to be receiving and accepting grace on a daily basis. The Colossians had welcomed the gospel. They'd welcomed the grace of God with open arms. They said, thank you, Jesus, for saving us. I mean, we were deceived. We were idolatrous. And we can see the work of grace in their life. The fruit that is mentioned, specifically back in verse 4 again, he says, of your love for all the saints. That's the first fruit that Paul mentions, that they, they all of a sudden became loving people and really loved the body of Christ. Jesus said, by this you'll, they'll know that you're truly my disciples, that you what? Love one another. And people could see that the Colossians were really disciples of Jesus because they loved one another. It was evident. Uh, the work of grace makes us more loving. The work of grace makes us selfless or more selfless. We never become completely selfless because we still have that flesh in us. We're not Jesus. But we, come a lot, we become a lot more selfless. We become unified. We start to unify and become one, as Jesus prayed about in John 17. But the enemy, he wants to put a worm. You ever, you ever seen a piece of fruit and it has a worm in it and you want to cut that whole piece out? But once you do, it doesn't look as beautiful after you cut a big chunk of it out. But the enemy wants to put a worm in the fruit that we can't even see and he wants to cause it to rot from the inside out. And a lot of Christians for a while, when they're neglecting the grace of God, they'll look the same for a while, but they, again are cooling from the inside out. And Satan, who's called the one who sows discord among the brethren, uh, he'll use all kinds of things to cause a body of believers, a fellowship, to cool off. He wanted, Coloss he wanted the church in Colossians to become cold as ice. First, you've got to become lukewarm like Laodicea. But he wanted them to become cold as ice and eventually just kind of fade off the scene and have no light have no lampstand, have no witness in that area. But he'll use miscommunication. He'll use personalities. And we all have personalities. You might think your personality's perfect. Not everyone else thinks it is. Uh, I know mine isn't. I used to think I had a perfect personality. But the longer I'm with Jesus, I realize, yeah, I, I can potentially rub people the wrong way, not even trying to. Same with you. He'll, but he'll use uh, miscommunication, our personalities. He'll use spiritual immaturity. Because when you're immature, you're just kind of like a bull in a china shop. Uh, you'll just kind of step on toes and not even realize it. He'll use misunderstandings where nobody even meant to be offensive, but Satan will just use a little bit of a misunderstanding. He'll use theological differences and people's pet theologies. You ever have the person, no matter how many times you meet them, they want to talk about one subject and the pantheon of things that could be discussed from Scripture. And it's usually not... Hardly ever is it Jesus. It's some pet area. He'll use things like that. But you name it, he'll use it to cause conflict and division. But grace-receiving people that abide in truth, they walk in love, and they die to self. And God, God wants you and I to be those that walk in love and die to self. D.L. Moody said, it may be an easy thing to, uh, it may, I'm sorry, it may not be an easy thing 
to live in sweet fellowship with all those whom we come in contact with. But that is what the grace of God is uh, given to us for. God's given us grace to be able to love people no matter what, to be able to be in fellowship no matter what, to be able to be unified no matter what. In the world's nature, it's the world's nature to be divisive. Can I get an amen on that? When you watch the news, when you just look on Twitter or Facebook, it's the nature of the world to be divisive. It doesn't matter if it's politics, the color of people's skin, culture, ethnicities, geographies. On top of all that, we're all, every single one of us, we are all far more flawed than we think we are. So when you see people pontificating about this or that, they have no idea there's a massive plank in their own eye. But the longer you understand grace, you see that there's always fingers pointing back at yourself. So we need grace and lots of grace to receive the grace of God, but also to give grace, as we see, was evident in the birth of this church. Love. Love was coming forth from them. Remember, Paul would write, if we have not love, everything profits us nothing. What the enemy was sowing in Colossae, though, uh, in their particular, the way the enemy was dividing that church, it was actually through the use of false doctrine and a return to the law. A return to the law, uh, a return to the bondage of the law, which no one can keep the law to perfection. And when we stop walking in truth, and truth is just as important, it's meant, Paul mentions truth here as well, Truth is just as important as understanding grace. They had stopped walking in truth, and when you stop walking in truth, you stop walking in grace. When you stop walking in grace, you'll eventually stop walking in truth. Uh, each will impact the other. But it's a domino effect. We stop understanding we've been saved by grace. We start looking at other things that bring us back into bondage. And it's why Epaphras was so concerned. He said, I've got to get to Paul. I mean, he, he's, he's a more seasoned saint, a father in the faith. I need his prayers. I need his, you know, him to give us wisdom and I, uh, guidance. How do, we, how do we bring the people back that the enemy is starting to tear apart the flock? But notice Paul's prayer. Paul says, um, praying always for you. He says in verse uh, 9, for this reason, we also, since the day we heard of it, not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. They were starting to not walk worthy. They were starting to walk back in the world or back into legalism or back under the law, that you may walk worthy, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul's prayer, he was saying, you know, I've heard the report. I know what God started. I know the will of God is not only to start it, but that the fruit would continue. And by the way, it's God's grace that other people are praying for you if you're watching online. Somebody's praying for you. If you know the Lord, I guarantee somebody's praying for you. 
I have a lot of people praying for me, and I, I need every single prayer I can get. And we all need to be praying for one another. It's the grace of God that causes people to pray for one another. That's also a work, an outworking of that love. But Paul knows they need a refresh of that saving and sanctifying grace. They need a refresh of it. You may need a refresh uh, watching online tonight. You might say, lately, I've just been really dry. I wanted to get in the Word. You need a refresh of God's grace. But God's grace always comes through the Word of God. God's truth points us back to His grace. And a, a, a fulfilling of God's will in their life is what Paul desires to see. And of course, Paphras desires to see it as well. And that, that they would be repaired from these areas of neglect and damage. And, and all the seeds that Satan has been sowing of discord false doctrine and neglect, Paul's like, that stuff needs to be fixed. It needs to be addressed. It needs to be rooted out and a return to God's grace. And to find the grace to be renewed and to move forward and to kind of get back on that path that they were on from the outset, it's always to get back to the feet of Jesus. We want to look at our last uh, point here tonight. Um, it's always to get back at the feet of Jesus. This third point, the supremacy of Jesus, we see it prominently um, uh, pointed to by Paul here, starting in verse 15. Uh, he says, he is, the in, he is the image. Matter of fact, let's go back to verse 13. Uh, he has delivered us from the power of darkness, conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. So even starting verse 13, you see this, uh, real focus on Christ. He's the one that's delivered you. He's the one you have redemption. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Um, goes on, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things consist. He is the head of the body. Verse 18, and the beginning, the firstborn of uh, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, the supremacy of Jesus. He's like, the will of God, important. The grace of God, important. Matter of fact, both uh, will never, ever stop being important to God in our lives and in the work of the kingdom and in the church, the will of God. The grace of God, though, those two prominent aspects are always manifested through the Son of God. The will of God and the grace of God manifested through the Son of God. If we're dry tonight, if we're self-centered lately, and we just, we're just so self-absorbed, if we're apathetic, if we're frustrated tonight, if we're anxious and worried about everything and fearful or depressed or deceived, and all of these, all of these uh, either feelings or um, just kind of what's happening in your life, uh, if any of these things are happening and we're not walking as God has called us to, this is not the will of God and we're not operating in the grace of God. Something has clouded our vision. Something has taken us away from the lordship of Jesus. We're bowing before something else and it's usually ourself. We're bowing before ourselves. We've we put ourselves back in charge, which never brings peace. 
me being in charge of me is a really bad idea. Same is for you. We need to be fully under the supremacy of Jesus, surrendered to him. We need to be reminded of God's will, not ours. His grace that we desperately need and the supremacy of Jesus, we need to, you know, when Stephen was being stoned, the only thing he could see was Jesus. He became laser He didn't feel the stones because when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can walk on water. We can be stoned to death and not even feel it. We keep our eyes on Jesus, we can persevere. We keep our eyes on Jesus, we see false doctrine that the Colossians weren't seeing, and we reject it immediately. We're like, I'm not going back to the bondage of the law. No. I'm looking at Jesus, and I see the grace in his eyes. I see the mercy in his eyes. I want to stay within the will of God. We need, all of us, we need a new wonder, a renewed awe, the fear of the Lord. We need a re-surrender to him as the Lord of our lives. He's already King of kings and Lord of lords of the whole universe, of all of heaven, whether we recognize it or not. He's already sitting above it all, over it all. Aren't you glad that Jesus has the power over Satan? I mean, think about it. Satan is 10 million times smarter than all the people on earth put together. That's how he plays everybody against each other constantly, moves people around like chess pieces. He's incredibly brilliant. Evil, but brilliant. But aren't you glad that Satan is nothing? Jesus can kind of blow and Satan is incinerated. So why is he still around? The will of God has allowed Satan to be around for a period of time to tempt people, and they have to decide, will they listen to the God of this age, or will they listen to the God who created everything, including the fallen angels? Who are you going to listen to? The one who has victory, or the one who's destined for eternal torment? And that's where Satan and the fallen angels, and all those that follow him, are destined for. But aren't you glad that Jesus has the power over Satan? We just read it, verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. There is a power in the dark world. There's a power of sin. But Jesus has delivered us from it. Not only that, even from death. We've been delivered. Aren't you glad that Jesus has power over Satan and this world and all the forces that come against us? I am. Jesus said you'll be, the scripture tells us you'll be more than conquerors. He said uh, in this world you'll have tribulation, but I've overcome the world. Aren't you glad he has the power and authority to forgive us of sins? He mentions that. Again, back in verse 14, whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I'm glad because I sin somewhere, if nothing else, in an attitude every day. And every day I'm back to the altar or the mercy seat saying, Lord, cleanse me. And that's where grace comes in again. It's the will of God that I constantly remember, oh yeah, he's given me grace. But I have to fall at the feet of Jesus, understand that he's the Lord of my life. He's the one that has the power over Satan. He is the one that has the power to forgive me of sin. For the 10,000th time, you can be forgiven He's also the creator of everything. We see by him all things were created through him and for him. Verse 16, uh, he's the creator of everything. 
this world and all of its pride and all of its so-called power and prestige is nothing but Jesus' footstool. In the seven-year tribulation, all the glory of this world is going to go up in flames. It will be burning. It's just, this world is just the dust on his feet. Jesus is not impressed with the things of this world, and neither should we be. But we get impressed by them, and it's a deception. We have to keep our eyes on him. He's like, this world, he said it's passing away. And he's above it all, and he's worthy of our total worship, but we can't just give him a little slice. Total worship. A little slice means you'll forget the grace of God, you'll forget the will of God, and you'll walk off the path of God. <coughs> um, R.C. Sproul said, to speak, speaking of the supremacy of Christ, he said, to speak of supremacy is to speak of that which is above or over others. In our language, it refers to that which or who is greatest in power, authority, or rank. It also is used to describe that which or who is greatest in importance, significance, character, achievement, the ultimate. Jesus is the ultimate. That's why we've titled this series, Christ are everything. We need to really understand that Jesus meant it when he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's above all of us all of our minutes, all of our thoughts. And the more we submit and surrender to his lordship, it'll do an amazing work in your life and in my life. And we will be able to just really, like uh, you know, the horse that puts the blinders on the, in the Kentucky Derby, we can fly through around the track with nothing really derailing us because we're in the will of God, operating the grace of God, and looking to the Son of God who's supreme over everything. You know, but sadly, even uh, churches in Paul's day, and it's still happening all around us now and in an increasing measure, actually, they start replacing Jesus with lots of churchy stuff. But it's really light on Christ. Christ becomes less and less of the focal point, and it becomes about the ministry, their logo, their amazing work, their innovation, their laser light show, all the things. There's tons of worship, tons of music, but less and less of a focus on the Word of God that became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus begins to be just a side piece of many ministries and men and personalities in charge, uh, as was the case in Laodicea, uh, these men in charge, they have a high profile. They are looked up to, and yet, like it wasn't Laodicea, Jesus was knocking. He was outside the church, knocking on the door of the church, and it's like, I'm King of Kings, Lord of Lords. I'm the Savior. I'm the one who's redeemed you, and I'm not even found in the church, but you're doing all kinds of church stuff. And that's a danger, and that was happening, starting to happen in Colossae. They had forgotten the supremacy of Jesus. No, Jesus, he's the head. He has preeminence. It tells us right at the end of uh, verse 18 that he, that in all things he may have the preeminence. In our prayer meetings, in our children's ministry, in youth and 
any, any different in our worship time in the Word of God that Jesus is the one that we're glorifying and that He is gaining the honor and that He is gaining the glory, that He is the preeminence and everything we do should be in honor of Him, in obedience to Him, and in worship to Him. If it magnifies Calvary Chapel Richmond, that's a problem. We're not to be magnified. We're to decrease that, that He might increase, both individually but also as a church. But personally, let me ask you, are you yielding to the Lordship of Jesus? If we are, if we're yielding to His Lordship, we're going to be in His will, we're going to be in His grace. Oswald Chambers said this, he said, much of the misery of our Christian life comes not because the devil tackles us, but because we have never understood the simple laws of our makeup. We have, to retre- we have to treat the body as the servant. Again, he's supreme, we're the servant. As the servant of Jesus Christ. When the body says sit, he says go. Go. When the body says eat, he says fast. Fast. When the body says yawn, he says pray. Pray. This is surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus. Saying, Lord, It's not about what I feel. It's who you are. It's what you've said. It's your will. And your grace allows me to do it. As we come to a close here, let's go back to verse 1 and 2. Go back to verse 1 and 2. It says, Paul, by the will of God, to the saints, verse 2, grace to you and peace to you from God. There in also the second half of verse 2. By the will of God, he wants us to be in his will. It's to the saints, that's to us. In this work of grace, grace to you, God wants to give us the grace to be able to do that which our flesh can't do. From, from Jesus, from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the supremacy, it's from, we're getting our marching orders, we're getting our path forward from Christ himself. This is what we're living for. And let me tell you, as we close here, it's the opposite of living in misery. He says, grace and what? Peace to you. Peace. Peace is doing the will of God. Misery is doing our will. Peace is receiving the grace of God. Misery is neglecting or rejecting the grace of God. Peace is the supremacy and lordship of Jesus. Misery is making ourselves or some other aspect of this world lord of our life. None of that will ever bring the peace and joy that Jesus said we would find as we abide in him. Let's close in prayer, and we're looking forward to God continuing as we go through this study with the other men. Uh, But uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that uh, you've instructed us that it is your desire that not only we be saved, but that we be sanctified and grow in your grace and keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, to that end, you will bring about a peace and a rest and a refreshing in us. Lord, protect us from all the deception that is around us these days. Protect us from our own laziness, our own apathy, our own, we forget, Lord, we're a lot more flawed and a lot more problematic than we think we are. Help us to receive grace, but to give grace to one another, that we would be unified in truth and in love, and that the the work of love would flow from our lives as we stay centered in your will, walking in your grace, 
and our eyes on Jesus. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you on Sunday.